Hello and welcome to the Relationship Breakthrough Show from Aligned With Love. I'm Matt. And I am Rebecca. This is the place for people to have a magical, loving, intimate relationship. Thanks for joining us now. Let's get started. Today, we're going to focus on the often discussed area of relationship red flags, which are things that if we come across them, may be telling us something really important about the relationship. Something that if we don't address them and resolve them could easily impact negatively on the relationship. Today, we're going to be identifying the top five red flags that could be key warning signs that something is right in your relationship. Could any of these be affecting you right now? We're going to find out. Phil Rossotti has been a distinguished trial attorney in New York City for more than 40 years. And during that time, he's mastered many subjects through his reading, research and speaking with experts. In preparation for writing his book, The Essential Rules of Love, he brought these abilities to the subject of love and relationships. And we're going to be sharing some of those details today with you. So firstly, Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matthew. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. Great to have you, Phil. And the first question I wanted to ask you is, how would you define a relationship red flag? A relationship red flag is a, um, a warning sign. Stop, look, and listen. What's going on in uh, your relationship? Is there something that you see that is, a, is an indication or perhaps evidence that something, your relationship may not be as solid as you think? I'll give you one quick example. Um, a friend of mine uh, had a girlfriend, and um, she, they were supposed to go out uh, one evening, and she said that she couldn't meet with him because she had a meeting. And the implication of the meeting was that it was a business meeting of some sort. Um, upon further conversation at, later on, it turned out that it wasn't a meeting, or maybe it was a meeting, but the meeting was going to be at an art gallery. And it turned out that it wasn't a business meeting, but that she was meeting a friend. And it turned out in subsequent conversations that this friend turned out to be a man. Now, the man was a friend, but the manner in which this information came out was a little, quote, deceitful, unquote, not completely open and honest. And a situation like that is, to my way of thinking, a red flag. Why is this person not just coming out right away and telling me, well, I'm meeting this particular person uh, for this particular reason? Why, the, why hiding it? That, to me, is an example of a red flag in a relationship. I see. Thanks for the example, Phil. That's useful to, to see that. So what we're talking about really are things that if they happen, it could be a warning sign or telling you something important that maybe there's a bigger issue here under the surface and that the red flag is really a, a sign of that bigger issue that is maybe out of sight. Is that, is that fair to say? Yes, that, that is, a, is evidence of something else that is going on in the relationship that is not that's harmful potentially harmful to the relationship something's potentially harmful i get it well i'm really looking forward to hearing what these five areas are and exploring them and before we do though phil i'd love to hear a bit about your personal journey you know how did you become i know you've got your background in the legal profession but how did you come to be so interested and fascinated in this area of relationships well unfortunately it came about following the death of my late wife susan um, and the, uh, the grief that I uh, went through uh, following her death five years ago. And I started uh, 
examining our relationship because we had a fabulous relationship. And quite honestly, it was my third marriage and uh, the first who ended in divorce. And this, this was a fabulous, uh, unbelievable, successful, satisfying relationship. So I started looking at it and asking myself, well, why? What, have, what did we do that um, enabled us to achieve this? And I started doing reading, research about love, relationships, and that got into uh, many other uh, related areas. Uh, what is uh, love, uh, not only emotionally, but physically, what goes on in the brain when you're in love? Um, so I started looking at neuroscience, uh, psychology, psychiatry, um, evolutionary biology. What do people do uh, to attract a mate? What do people do to keep a mate when you have a mate? Um, because if you're in a loving relationship and you want to keep that person, you do things to, to do that. And that's what science has shown. And the books that I read on evolutionary biology in this area uh, prove. So it became a, a, a very interesting uh, subject for me, quite honestly, starting with dealing with my grief and then working through it and finding out what it is about relationships and what you can affirmatively do to keep a good relationship and maintain it uh, using my relationship with Susan uh, as examples. And uh, it ultimately culminated in a book about this subject. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing a bit about that, um, Phil. And also, firstly, sorry to hear about your loss, obviously, a few years ago of Susan. She sounds like a really wonderful relationship that you had there. And just so that like listeners can get a sense of Susan, I'd love to hear you know, maybe what would you say was her, the, the quality that she had that you most appreciated in, uh, in Susan? Uh, well, for, for me and my personality, uh, the quality was uh, even-handedness and um, steadiness. She was um, emotional, but within bounds. So the emotions didn't rise very high or fall very low. She was very even-tempered, very even-keeled, and that allowed us to uh, communicate effectively with each other. Um, it allowed us to um, uh, do many things together, and it was uh, uh, one of the facets of her personality that really attracted me to her. It was very beneficial in maintaining a, a, a good and solid relationship. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing that again, Phil. Sounds like a wonderful quality uh, amongst yeah, me. And it, and what, sure what, it, well. what it did was it caused me to be that way also. So I'm so fancy how beneficial that was. Yeah, I, I'm sure. Yeah, what, what a wonderful quality. And thanks again for sharing that, Phil. Um, I'd like to jump in now into this area of red flags. Let's jump into what we've planned to, to talk about, if that's okay. And um, yeah, so let's get straight into it. What's the first of the red flags that you wanted to highlight today that, that I think there's some of these red flags are very obvious and some of them are more subtle. The most obvious one is if you catch the other person in a lie, in a deceit, right? I, I mean, I think everybody can relate to that. Um, in my view, in relationships, there's no such thing as a white lie, you know, or a, a lie that really doesn't hurt anyone. Um, relationships are based on honesty, good, solid relationships are based on honesty and trust. And um, uh, you're not with the other person all the time. Um, and you have to trust 
that that other person is, has your interest at heart at all times and vice versa. And once there is a lie, once deceit is allowed to enter into a relationship, it undermines and begins to fester and undermine potentially a relationship. Um, I think that's the biggest example and the foremost example of what a, a red flag, if you determine that your partner has lied to you about something, even if it's not that important. If it's not that important, then why lie about it? Why was it necessary not to be completely honest and truthful? Uh, it indicates and suggests that there's something else possibly brewing. Um, that is the foundation or the reason for that lie. It's a really interesting point. And as you say, it's very simple, but also very profound and powerful because it's almost like, well, what's really going on there? As you say, it may seem like a very trivial thing. Uh, I can think of one of my own examples, Phil, where I had a relationship. It wasn't a romantic relationship. It was a business relationship. But on the very first time I met this business partner, he told me a lie. <laughs> and it was a very small one. And I almost justified it away and said, oh, don't worry. I'm sure he just got confused or I sort of brushed it away as being unimportant. But that relationship went on to be extremely problematic. And um, it just just really illustrates that point you're making that, you know, where a lie creeps in, even over something relatively trivial. Well, what's really going on there? It's worth considering, isn't it? Well, it's interesting that you bring this up in the context of a business relationship, because quite honestly, um, most of these, if you want to call them rules of relationship conduct, apply not just to romantic relationships, but all. Also, business relationships, social relationships, um, they really do. I mean, it's more acute in a romantic setting. Um, but uh, the way you treat um, your romantic partner, to be honest and open, um, if you want to have a good relationship with your business partner, you want to have a good relationship with your friends, you want to have a good relationship with your next-door neighbor, you know, the same thing, be honest and open. Okay. That's right. So I guess the question for people listening is, when you think about your relationship, and you consider your partner, the question to ask yourself is, you know, is this someone that I can really trust? You know, have they demonstrated that they're a, a genuine, trustworthy, honest individual? And if not, then how could that impact on things going forward? That, that would be a reasonable starting point, Phil. Absolutely. And if, you, and if there is a question about trust, uh, you really have to question the foundation of why you would want to continue in a relationship with somebody that you um, question their trust. Mm, great point. Thanks for that, Phil. That's really, really powerful. That's a, a great start. So, so that's the first red flag. Let's move on to the second one, Phil. All right. So this is more in the context of, of romantic uh, relationships. And I think it's one that everybody can relate to. Most people can relate to. Uh, one person, and that is if you engage in conduct that your partner has told you they're not happy with, and you continue to engage in that conduct. A very simple example is if you're, quote, a slob, unquote, you don't pick up after yourself. And your partner said, you know, this is really um, getting to me. I always have to go around and pick up your stuff. I always have to go around and clean up the bedroom. I always have to go around and clean up the kitchen. I would like some help in this regard. And you can't find it within yourself to do that. And you continue to ignore what your partner is saying is annoying or problematic to them. And you just go about your own way, with your blinders on, 
and you ignore that. Why? So the partner now has to say, well, why? Why can't my partner listen to what I'm saying and do something to acknowledge what I'm not happy about and address that issue? It raises the, the, the red flag that maybe the partner is more interested in himself, not as interested in me, not as interested in caring about my feelings. And as I said, this might be a little thing, but it is uh, indicative, perhaps, of a larger, a larger problem. So not doing, if you, don't, if you know that there's something you're doing that annoying, annoys your partner or your partner is not happy about, and you don't try and fix it, the other partner is, is really justified in saying, boy, is this a red flag? What is this person telling me? I see. I get it. Thank you, Phil. So as, as I understand it, it's that if your partner has made a request, let's say a reasonable request to change your behavior in some way or to do something to help, then if you're not interested in cooperating with that request or meeting that request, then what could that be then saying or how, what, how could that be portrayed by the other person, that, that lack of willingness or lack of uh, interest? in supporting our partner in that way. Is that, is that fair to say, Phil? That's, that, that sums it up very nicely, yes. Yeah, excellent. So, so yeah, for people thinking at home then, consider this, consider the request that you've made of your partner. Firstly, you know, are they reasonable requests? You know, when you look at them, are you asking for something which feels like it's within the bounds of reasonableness? And if it is, and your partner has shown himself or herself to be unwilling to cooperate or try and support you with that then what could that be telling you what's really going on there if that's the case so um yeah thanks for that one phil should we move on to the third one yeah now the third one is the opposite of this uh one of the best ways all of the experts and writers talk about to maintain a, a good solid relationship is to do things together now, you don't have to do everything together, but you should have activities that you enjoy together. If you're a couple, uh, presumably you want to do things together. And if there is, this is the red flag. If there's something of particular interest to one partner, that that partner wants to share with the other partner, and they invite them to do it, and the other partner continually refuses, finds an excuse, never goes along never acknowledges that partner's uh, interest in something and desire to share that with the other partner, that to me is, an, is another red flag. An example is, let's say one partner is very interested in the arts, very interested in um, painting or whatever it might be. Um, just using this as an example, a dancing. Um, and they say, look, I'd like you to join me to go to a museum. There's a show that I'm very interested in. Would you come with me to go there? Or um, I enjoy the ballet. Would you come with me to share this experience, the ballet with me? Um, and the other partner finds an excuse. No, I can't do it this time for this reason. I can't do it that time for this reason. I can't do it this time for, for this other reason. And the, the partner would begin to say, why can't the other person acknowledge my interests, acknowledge that I want to share what I enjoy with the other partner and join me once, twice, not all the time, but take an interest in what I'm doing, take an interest in what I enjoy, see if perhaps we can enjoy that together and, 
and uh, acknowledge my feelings about this and my invitation. So if the partner, if you have a partner that is never willing to share with you after you've invited them to do things, that to me, again, is a red flag that that person is more interested in themselves rather than giving, rather than sharing. And it uh, portends to perhaps bigger problems. I see. So I think I get that, Phil. So I might ask a quick clarification on this one. But as I as I understand it, you're saying that that if our partner is consistently unwilling or unable to join us on activities that we propose, let's say things that we we're passionate about, we love and we want our partner to join us, but they're not really interested or they're not wanting to come along, then that could potentially be a red flag. Uh, Phil, I just just wanted to ask. What if it's something that the other person isn't really interested in? If it's not their their cup of tea, as we say. I'm assuming they're not interested in it. I'm assuming it's not their cup of tea. But if you love the other person and you want to share your life with the other person and you care about the other person, a very famous uh, psychiatrist, Eric Fromm, said love is action. Love is doing, not just talk and and saying things, but action. So if your partner has a, has a sincere interest in something and they want to share that with you, even if you don't have any interest in it, at some point you say, you know what, I'll go along. Let me see what it's all about. Let me, let me uh, go along with your wishes and share this with you because you're asking me to do it. Not because I want to do it, but because you're asking me to do it. And I want to put my love into action. I want to put, I want to show you that I'm willing to do something for you that you're asking me to do. I see. I see. So it's not necessarily all the time, let's say, but at least sometimes to be open to join. Is that, is that fair to say? Sometimes. That's what I'm saying. If the partner never, you know, continually refuses across the board and never joins you, it's a little disheartening. It's a little disheartening. And I think mm. raises a flag. You know, why wouldn't that person put himself out for me? It's not a trivial thing. I'm not asking him to, to, uh, go bowling for the for one time and he doesn't want to go okay fine but this is something that i enjoy and we want to i want to share with him and he never wants to she never wants to do it it's indicative that there's a selfishness and a lack of respect for the other person maybe not but it's a it's a red flag i think too that warrants further investigation be a red flag i get it so yeah just to summarize this one so if you're listening and you're thinking well what happens when i invite my partner to join me to do things together to share my passion you know do i always get a no or do i sometimes get some engagement some interest and you know if i don't get much interest then what could that be telling me could that be an indicative indicative or something else so we're definitely worth worth considering thanks thanks for, for that one phil let's move on to the fourth one phil what's the fourth red flag the fourth one is a little more subtle. Um, one of the things that um, relationship experts talk about doing to solidify and help maintain relationships is to do things unexpected, little things unexpected for your partner to show them that you, you're thinking about them, you care about them, you love them. Um, without asking for no reason, you bring them home flowers. Uh, you offer to cook dinner one night. You offer to take them out to dinner for one night. Totally unexpected. Um, you bring them a little gift that you happen to find. Nothing expensive, but just a little gift. Um, a token that you were thinking about them, you know, away from the house when they're not with you, and that um, you want to show them that 
you are thinking about them. Many people do this. Most people do this very frequently. And as I say, experts talk about how what a good uh, method this is to show the other partner that you're thinking about them, you care about them. Um, the classic example that everybody knows is Stevie Wonder's song, I Just Called to Say I Love You. It's not New Year's Eve. It's not Valentine's Day. It's not your birthday. It's just a Tuesday in May. And you want to know something, sweetheart? I'm thinking about you. I love you. Mm. If your partner never, ever does anything like that, never, you got you to ask yourself, how come? Why is that? Why does my partner never think of me or show me that or her that they're thinking of the, the other partner? Um, we're not, we know we're not being asked. When they're not, we don't say, I love you, and you expect to reciprocate, I love you. Um, but if it never happens, if that kind of conduct, you're in a relationship year after year after year, and that never happens, you never get a little surprise, you never get a little something that you're not expecting, you never get a little attention that you're not expecting, it's like, it's subtle, but I think you have to ask yourself, why is that? Why is it? What? am I not getting in this, this relationship? What's going on here that this person is not expressing that type of behavior towards me? I see. I see. So that, that could be one of the ways we might feel loved by our partner, you know, but the fact that they're thinking about us even in the middle of doing something else, but then what you're saying is that if they never express that in the form of something, you know, a verbal expression or a gift or something, then it could be highlighting that, there's maybe something amiss. Is that, is that, yeah, right? that maybe the person really doesn't care about me. That maybe the person has not, yeah. has not the capacity to think about me or care about me or show me that he or she does care about me. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, you go out for six months and it, you know, this doesn't happen, but I'm talking about a long-term relationship. You know, you wake up one morning after a couple of years and say, boy, this person has never shown me anything. Uh, that he's gone out of his way for me uh, without being asked. That to me, I have to ask myself some questions about what's going on here. I see. Great. So, yeah, think about that then. If you, you're listening, you're considering this, think about what does your partner do for you? And also, what do you do for your partner? You know, do you go out of your way to surprise them, to delight them, to, to make a, a call or send a message unexpectedly? And, you know, if that never happens or it ha doesn't happen enough, then what could that be telling you? You know, could that be a, a red flag? So thanks for that one, Phil. Uh, let's go on to the fifth one, please. All right. The fifth one. Now, this is an obvious one, like the first one. <clears throat> I'll start. I'll end with an obvious one. One of the things um, experts talk about is, and I, I talk about it in the book, is not criticizing or condemning or complaining about your partner in public to other people. It's very demoralizing, um, and it, it really shows a lack of respect for that partner. If that happens, if you're out with friends, if you're out of social engagement, and your partner starts complaining about what you do or don't do to other people, your friends, or to strangers in a, in a uh, say, a cocktail party or, or some sort of social gathering, and um, you you start bringing up your, quote, dirty laundry in front of other people. It is a humiliating, degrading uh, experience. 
not conducive to communication. The other person gets uh, defensive and it is not helpful to uh, a relationship. So the question is, the red flag is, why is this person doing that to me? Why are they trying to do that to me? Uh, and, and it is more than just the person is not happy with what my conduct might be, but taking it a step further, why is the person embarrassing me in public? Why is the person bringing this out in public? Uh, this is not the other people's business, and this is not the place where we're going to resolve this problem. It is a, an aggressive uh, type conduct that suggests that there's more going on uh, negatively than just, well, we have to talk about what, what we like and what we don't like about each other. Uh, it suggests a real effort to um, demoralize and degrade that person. And if that's the case, what's going on in our relationship that my partner is doing this? Why is he or she doing this to me? So what I'm hearing there, Phil, is like to listen out for any criticism or negativity coming from our partner, particularly in public, as you say, in front of other people. And Well, you know, for, we specifically, feeling... specifically in public. I mean, there's a time and place yeah. to sit down and have a frank conversation. Look, you're doing this. It's not. I'm not happy about it. I wish you would change your conduct. You should have conversations like that in private, in a, in a respectful manner. But when it's done in public, in a degrading type manner, which we've all seen happen, we've seen, been experienced, uh, or seen the experience of that happening in other situations with other couples, it is indicative that there is a larger problem. Yeah, I see. Great. So, yeah, if you're listening, think about that. When you're in public with other people, with friends or family, do you ever find that your partner makes negative comments in front of people? And if that happens, how does it affect you? How does it affect the relationship? And could that be a red flag, really, as Phil is, uh, as Phil is pointing out? So that's another really, really important area. Because it sounds really, um, I definitely get that one, too. Yeah, I heard a, an example recently where um, one of the partners, the guy actually had a fear, her phobia around spiders. And he didn't really w necessarily want to broadcast it to the world. You know, he just dealt with it and, OK, he doesn't like spiders. But then in front of their friends, his wife had then said, made a comment yeah, um, about, oh, if there's a spider, make sure he doesn't need to get involved because he's not going to be any use. And sort of felt quite uncomfortable, quite sort of degrading, really. And it's sort of like, well, yeah, that's true. I do have an issue with spiders, but I didn't particularly want to let everyone know about it. But now, obviously, you've told the whole room. So, uh, yeah, thanks for that. Um, yeah, that could be an example, really, of what you're saying. That's, yeah, it's a perfect example. I mean, why is that necessary to be said? It isn't that the other people don't care if this person likes spiders or doesn't like spiders. It doesn't advance the conversation. It's not said for the purpose of the other people. It's said for the purpose of getting back at the partner. And the question you have to ask is, why? Why are you finding it necessary to get back at me in, in, in public and kind of degrade or humiliate or embarrass me in public? What's going on between us that you find it necessary to do that? Yeah, exactly. Great, great point, Phil. Lovely. Well, yeah, that was really fascinating. I, I loved all those areas. It gives, I'm sure, people lots of food for thought and reflection around, you know, how the relationship's going and things to look out for that, you know, could be red flags, signs that something really is not right. Um, so thanks for sharing that. Um, 
I was going to ask as well, Phil, I know you've got your book, The Essential Rules of Love. How can people find out about your work and get a hold of your book? Well, the easiest way is that we have a website, uh, philrosati, R-U-S-S-O-T-T-I dot com. Um, it explains the book, explains about me. Uh, it has some sample chapters that you can download. And uh, if you find it of interest, then you can get the whole book. Um, the book um, uh, starts out by examining uh, what love is. In order to have a relationship, I thought it was necessary to delve in, to examine it from different um, uh, perspectives. Namely, what is love? And we talk about love being action. Uh, if you, if it's, um, uh, we're talking about a relationship, let's know what we're talking about. Um, another chapter is what are the benefits of love? Why is this so? What's such a great thing? And it has to do with finding yourself and completing yourself as a person to be able to love another person, complete yourself as a person. Uh, what are the difficulties in finding love? Um, we all know that there are drawbacks, but another chapter examines what the difficulties uh, in finding love uh, is. And uh, actually, it starts with uh, uh, part of a song that was uh, popularized by Bonnie Raitt um, that everybody's familiar with. Um, I, I can't make you love me. You can't make another person love you. You, you can't. Uh, that's a difficulty. But uh, I explore that in the chapter. We also talk about uh, the uh, science of love. And I get into, uh, as I said, the, uh, uh, what goes on in the brain, what goes on in the dopamine uh, areas of the brain. That's when you're stimulated and when you're falling in love with someone. That is what's happening in your brain as evidenced by uh, MRIs um, to show what's the blood flow is going on at different areas of your brain and where, where this is actually happening. It's uh, if you're interested in science, it's fascinating. If you, if you're not, you could skip through those pages. Um, but it's, um, it's a, I thought it was very interesting. And also in terms of the evolutionary biology aspect of this, how to keep a mate, what women and men do behaviors they do to keep their mate. Um, and then there are chapters on what the experts say. What do they actually advise in terms of maintaining a relationship, doing things together, finding hobbies together? Um, and it helps to examine your relationship and see what you do or what perhaps you, perhaps you can do. And you can do uh, together to uh, further bond. And then I get into a more personal situation. I look at what we did and I tell a story of Susan and I. And the things that we did that actually followed the experts with advice without us even knowing. We had not read any of these relationship books before. Susan has been married before. So we're a product of our experiences and we learn from our experiences. And um, it turns out that we were doing things and did things that the experts said you should do. So that was very interesting that's, that's, for me. That's to, good to know. Yeah, that's, it was very interesting for me to learn about and to see. And um, it, this culminates at actually in 10 do's and don'ts um, Four things that you should not do. It encapsulates four types of conduct that you should not do. Six conduct uh, that you should do. And it serves as a little easy reference reminder to you. You can tear it out, put it on your refrigerator door and you can point to it when your partner's doing something. You go, wait a minute, you're violating, you know, don't, don't number five here. Don't, you shouldn't be doing this. 
Um, so it's an easy reference. And lastly, of interest, it was of interest to me, and I think it may be of interest to readers, is uh, how love can survive death. And uh, uh, I, I look at literature, I look at uh, poetry, um, and uh, it is a well-known phenomenon. Uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote about it, um, about how uh, she would love her husband more after they died. It was an interesting uh, debate about whether or not she was talking about she would love the husband more when she was alive here on Earth or Robert, Robert Browning, or when they met afterwards in the afterlife, that she would love him more then. But whichever, and whatever your belief system may be, um, it's just an example of how people write about love surviving death. And um, so that's what the book is about. And uh, philrosati.com is, is where you can find it. Uh, it's on Amazon. You can find it on Amazon as well. Okay, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining us. And please remember to subscribe and to leave us a review. Who could you share this episode with that needs to hear this message? Share this episode and remember that the quality of your relationship determines the quality of your life. See you on the next episode.